Welcome to the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. This podcast will be a sharing of part of my morning routine as I prepare for the day with the Word of God. We will be partaking of Puritan prayers from the Valley of Vision, each day's morning devotional from Charles Haddon Spurgeon's Morning and Evening, and we'll be reading from the Legacy Standard Bible, which is the newest and, I believe, the most accurate translation of the Word of God. We will be following a Bible reading calendar that provides for reading the whole Bible in a year that was created by Minister Robert Murray McShane for his congregation back in 1842, and that has been a part of my daily reading for over six years now. Good morning and welcome to the morning segment of the Thursday, March 9th episode of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I believe that's episode 190. Episode 190, we're closing on 200. Um, I, Wayne Floyd, your host, the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast is a humble member of the Christian podcast community. You can find us over at christianpodcastcommunity.org. Definitely, definitely worth your while. Uh, a lot of great content um, across the spectrum over there at christianpodcastcommunity.org. Um, definitely would encourage you to get over there. Um, it is definitely worth your while. Um, you will definitely, you will, wow, I'm using definitely a lot. Sorry about that. You will run out of time to listen to all the stuff you want to listen to over there. So uh, I would encourage you. Um, we're going to continue on. Oh, I do want to point out um, and remind you of the last link in our show notes. That last link is for the Vail Valley Baptist Church Give, Sin, Go campaign. We are striving to rapidly pay off our mortgage so that we can shift gears and commence establishment of a Christian classical education-based school to provide an alternative out here for our stu- for our parents and grandparents for having raising their children and grandchildren. So um, please go ahead and click on the link. It'll provide you a much better description than I just did. And then uh, we would ask three things of you. We'd ask you, you to pray for us. We'd ask you to prayerfully consider giving to us. And we would ask you to pass along the link. Um, so others can do the same. All right, well, we're going we're to be continuing on in this morning segment with, excuse me, with our reading through the scriptures. And with it being the fifth day morning, we're going to open up with the fifth day morning prayer called the giver. Let's pray. Creator, upholder, and proprietor of all things, we cannot escape from thy presence and control, nor do we desire to do so. Our privilege is to be under the agency of thy omnipotence, righteousness, wisdom, patience, mercy, and grace. For thou art love with more than parental affection. We admire thy goodness, stand in awe of thy power, abase ourselves before thy purity. It is the discovery of thy goodness alone that can banish our fear, allure us into thy presence, help us to bewail and confess our sins. We review our past guilt and are conscious of present unworthiness. We bless thee that thy steadfast love and attributes are essential to our happiness and hope. Thou hast witnessed to us thy grace and mercy in the bounties of nature, in the fullness of thy providence, in the revelations of Scripture, in the gift of thy Son, in the proclamations of the gospel. Make us willing to be saved in thy own way, perceiving nothing in ourselves but all in Jesus. Help us not only to receive him, but to walk in him, depend upon him, commune with him, follow him as dear children, imperfect but still pressing forward, not complaining of labor, but valuing rest, not murmuring under trials, but thankful for our state, and by so doing let us silence the ignorance of foolish men. Amen. All right, now our morning devotion from Spurgeon's Morning and Evening for the morning of March 9th. The text is from Song of Solomon, or as I call it, Song of Songs, 516. 
Yea, he is altogether lovely. The superlative beauty of Jesus is all attracting. It is not so much to be admired as to be loved. He is more than pleasant and fair. He is lovely. Surely the people of God can fully justify the use of his golden word, for he is the object of their warmest love, a love founded on the intrinsic excellence of his person, the complete perfection of his charms. Look, O disciples of Jesus, to your master's lips and say, Are they not most sweet? Do not his words cause your hearts to your hearts to burn within you as he talks with you by the way? Ye worshippers of Emmanuel, look up to his head of much fine gold, and tell me, are not his thoughts precious unto you? Is not your adoration sweetened with affection, as ye humbly bow before that countenance which is as Lebanon, excellent as the cedars? Is there not a charm in his every feature, and is not his whole person fragrant with such a savor of his good ointment, that, there, that therefore the virgins love him? Is there one member of his glorious body which is not attractive? one portion of his person which is not a fresh lodestone to our souls one office which is not strong not a one office which is not a strong cord to bind your heart our love is not as a seal set upon his heart of love alone it is fastened upon his arm of power also nor is there a single part of him upon, upon which it does not fix itself we anoint his whole person with the sweet spikenard of our fervent love his whole life we would imitate his whole character we would transcribe, and all other beings we see some lack. In him there is all perfection. The best even of his favored saints have had blots upon their garments and wrinkles upon their brows. He is nothing but loveliness. All earthly sons have their spots. The fair world itself hath its wilderness. We cannot love the whole of the most lovely thing. But Christ Jesus is gold without alloy, light without darkness, glory without cloud. Yea, he is altogether lovely. All right, now our reading for the day. We're going to start in Numbers 11 at verse 24, and then we're going to read through Numbers 12 and Numbers 13. We're going to read in Mark 14 and then Psalm 52 and a couple of verses at the very beginning of Proverbs 11. So let's get started in Numbers 11, verse 24. Hear the word of the Lord. So Moses went out and told the people the word of Yahweh. Also he gathered seventy men of the elders of the people, and had them stand around the tent. Then Yahweh came down in the cloud, and spoke to him, and he took of the Spirit who was upon him, and placed him upon the seventy elders. And when the Spirit rested upon them, he prophesied. <laughs> they prophesied, but they did not do it again. But two men had remained in the camp. The name of one was Eldad, and the name of the other was Medad. And the Spirit rested upon them. Now they were among those who had been registered, but had not gone out to the tent, and they prophesied in the camp. So a young man ran and told Moses, and said, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. Then Joshua the son of Nun, the attendant of Moses from his youth, said, Moses, my Lord, restrain them. But Moses said to him, Are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the people of Yahweh were prophets, that Yahweh would put his Spirit upon them. Then Moses returned to the camp, both he and the elders of Israel. Now there went forth a wind from Yahweh, and it brought quail from the sea, and let them fall beside the camp, about a day's journey on this side and a day's journey on the other side, all around the camp and about two cubits over the surface of the ground. And the people spent all day and all night and all the next day and gathered the quail. He who gathered least gathered ten homers, and they spread them out for themselves all around the camp. While the meat was still between their teeth, before it was chewed, the anger of Yahweh was kindled against the people. 
and Yahweh struck the people with a very severe plague. So the name of that place was called Kibroth Hatava, because there they buried the people who had been greedy. From Kibroth Hatava, the people set out for Hazaroth, and they remained at Hazaroth. Numbers 12. Then Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman whom he had taken as a wife, for he had taken a Cushite woman. And they said, Has Yahweh indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us as well? And Yahweh heard it. Now the man Moses was very humble, more than any man who was on the face of the earth. Suddenly Yahweh said to Moses and Aaron and to Miriam, You three come out to the tent of meeting. So the three of them came out. Then Yahweh came down in a pillar of cloud and stood at the doorway of the tent. And he called Aaron and Miriam, and they and then both came forward. And he said, Hear now my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, Yahweh, shall make myself known to him in a vision. I shall speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my household. With him I speak mouth to mouth, indeed clearly and not in riddles. And he beholds the form of Yahweh. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant, against Moses? So the anger of Yahweh burned against them, and he went away. But the cloud withdrew from over the tent, and behold, Miriam was leprous, as white as snow. And Aaron turned toward Miriam, and behold, she was leprous. Then Aaron said to Moses, O my Lord, I beg you, do not place this sin on us, in which we have acted foolishly, and in which we have sinned. O do not let her be like one dead, whose flesh is half eaten away when he comes from his mother's womb. And Moses cried out to Yahweh, saying, O God, heal her, I pray. But Yahweh said to Moses, If her father had but spit in her face, would she not bear her dishonor for seven days? Let her be shut up for seven days outside the camp, and afterward she may be received again. So Miriam was shut up outside the camp for seven days, and the people did not set out until Miriam was received again. Afterward, however, the people set out from Hazaroth and camped in the wilderness of Paran. Numbers 13. Then Yahweh spoke to Moses, saying, Send out for yourself men, so that they may spy out the land of Canaan, which I am going to give to the sons of Israel. You shall send a man from each of their father's tribes, every one a leader among them. So Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran at the command of Yahweh, all of them men who were heads of the sons of Israel. These then were their names. From the tribe of Reuben, Shemua the son of Zechur. From the tribe of Simeon, Shaphat the son of Hori. From the tribe of Judah, Caleb the son of Jephunneh. From the tribe of Issachar, Igal the son of Joseph. From the tribe of Ephraim, Hoshea the son of Nun. From the tribe of Benjamin, Palti the son of Raphu. From the tribe of Zebulun, Gadiel the son of Sodi. From the tribe of Joseph, from the tribe of Manasseh, Gadi the son of Susi. From the tribe of Dan, Amiel the son of Gemali. From the tribe of Asher, Sether the son of Michael. From the tribe of Naphtali, Nabi the son of Vophshi. From the tribe of Gad, Geul the son of Maki. These are the names of the men whom Moses sent to spy out the land. But Moses called Hoshea the son of Nun, Joshua. So Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan, and said to them, Go up there into the Negev, then go up into the hill country, and see what the land is like, and whether the people who live in it are strong or weak, whether they are few or many, and how is the land in which they live? Is it good or bad? And how are the cities in which they live? Are they like open camps or with fortifications? And how is the land? Is it fat or lean? Are there trees in it or not? Make an effort then to get some of the fruit of the land. Now the time was the time of the first ripe grapes. 
So they went up and spied out the land from the wilderness of Zin as far as Rehob at Libo Hamath. And they had gone up into the Negev and came to Hebron, where Ashiman, Sheshai, and Talmai, the descendants of Anak, were. Now Hebron was built seven years before Zoan in Egypt. Then they came to the valley of Eshkol, and from there cut down a branch with a single cluster of grapes, and they carried it on a pole between two men with some of the pomegranates and the figs. The place was called the Valley of Eshkol because of the cluster which the sons of Israel cut down from, from there. Then they returned from spying out the land at the end of forty days, and went and came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the sons of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh, and they brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Thus they recounted to him and said, We went into the land where you sent us, and it certainly does flow with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. Nevertheless, the people who live in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified, and very large, and moreover we saw the descendants of Anak there. Amalek is living in the land of the Negev, and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites are living in the hill country, and the Canaanites are living by the sea and by the side of the Jordan. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, We should by all means go up and take possession of it, for we are surely able to overcome it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are too strong for us. So they gave out to the sons of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, The land which we have passed through to spy out on is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people whom we saw in it are men of great size. There also we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, are part of the Nephilim, and we became like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in their sight. All right, Mark 14, verses 22 through 52. And while they were eating, he took some bread, and after a blessing he broke it, and gave it to them, and said, Take it, this is my body. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will never again drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And after singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to them, You will all fall away, because it is written, I will strike down the shepherd, and the sheep shall be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. But Peter said to him, Even though all may fall away, yet I will not. And Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you, that today this very night, before a rooster crows twice, you yourself will deny me three times. But Peter kept saying insistently, If I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And they all were saying the same thing also. Then they came to a place named Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here until I have prayed. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be very distressed and troubled. And he said to them, My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch. And he went a little beyond them and fell to the ground and began to pray that if it were possible, the hour might pass, him, pass from him. And he was saying, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came and found them sleeping, and said to Peter, Simon, are you sleeping? Could you not keep watch for one hour? Keep watching and praying that you may not come into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. 
And he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? It is enough. The hour has come. Behold, the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up, let us go. Behold, the one who betrays me is at hand. And immediately while he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, came up, and with him was a crowd with swords and clubs, who were from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now he who was betraying him had given them a signal, saying, Whomever I kiss, he is the one, seize him, and lead him away under guard. And after coming, Judas, having immediately gone to him, said, Rabbi, and kissed him. And they laid hands on him and seized him. But one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the slave of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus answered and said to them, Have you come out with swords and clubs to arrest me as you would against a robber? Every day I was with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But this has taken place in order that the scriptures would be fulfilled. And they all left him and fled. And a young man was following him, wearing nothing but a linen sheet over his naked body. And they seized him, but he pulled free of the linen sheet and escaped naked. All right, Psalm 52. For the choir director, a mascal of David, when Doeg the Edomite came and told Saul and said to him, David has come to the house of Ahimelech. Why do you boast in evil, O mighty man? The loving kindness of God endures all day long. Your tongue devises destruction like a sharp razor, a worker of deceit. You love evil more than good, falsehood more than speaking what is right, Selah. You love all words that devour, O deceitful tongue. But God will break you down forever. He will snatch you up and tear you away from your tent and uproot you from the land of the living, Selah, so that the righteous will see and fear and will laugh at him, saying, Behold, the man who would not set God as his strength, but trusted in the abundance of his riches, and was strong in his destruction. But as for me, I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the loving kindness of God forever and ever. I will give you thanks forever, because you have done it. And I will hope on your name, for it is good in the presence of your holy ones. And finally, Proverbs 11, verses 1-3. through 3. A deceptive balance is an abomination to Yahweh, but a just weight is his delight. When arrogance comes, then comes disgrace, but with the meek is wisdom. The integrity of the upright will lead them, but the crookedness of the treacherous will destroy them. All right. Well, that was our reading for the day. Thank you for spending this time with me. I hope it's edifying for you to stay immersed in the word. Um, I would, I definitely hope you have a wonderful day. I would continue to implore you to do all that you do for the glory of God and God willing, I will see you this evening. Let's go ahead and close in prayer. Uh, the prayer we're going to close with this, uh, for this morning's segment is divine mercies. Let's pray. Thou eternal God, thine is surpassing greatness, unspeakable goodness, superabundant grace. I can as soon count the sands of ocean's lip as number thy favors towards me. I know but a part, but that part exceeds all praise. I thank thee for personal mercies, a measure of health, preservation of body, comforts of house and home, sufficiency of food and clothing, continuance of mental powers, my family, their mutual help and support, the delights of domestic harmony and peace, the seats now filled that might have been vacant, my country, church, Bible, faith. But oh, how I mourn my sin, ingratitude, vileness, the days that add to my guilt, the scenes that witness my offending tongue. All things in heaven, earth, or, heaven, earth, around, within, without, condemn me. 
the sun which sees my misdeeds, the darkness which is light to thee, the cruel accuser who justly charges me, the good angel, angels who have been provoked to leave me, thy countenance which scans my secret sins, thy righteous law, thy holy word, my sin-soiled conscience, my private and public life, my neighbors, myself, all write dark, th dark things against me. I deny them not, frame no excuse but confess, Father, I have sinned, yet still I live and fly repenting to thy outstretched arms. Thou wilt not cast me off, for Jesus brings me near. Thou wilt not condemn me, for he died in my stead. Thou wilt not mark my mountains of sin, for he leveled all, and his beauty covers my deformities. O my God, I bid farewell to sin by clinging to his cross, hiding in his wounds, and sheltering in his side. Amen. All right, again, have a great day, and I hope to see you this evening. God bless. Welcome to the evening segment of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. Good evening and welcome to the evening segment of the Thursday, March 9th episode of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. That'd be episode 190. I continue to be Wayne Floyd, your host. Um, the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast is a humble member of the Christian podcast community. You can find us over at christianpodcastcommunity.org. Uh, I definitely encourage you to go over there. Great, great listening over there, covering a lot of topics, broad, broad spectrum of topics. Definitely worth your while. Um, like I've said before, you'll run out of time to listen to all the things you want to listen to. All right, we're going to be continuing on in reading Thomas Watson's The Godly Man's Picture. We're going to finish up chapter four and read chapter five as well. So we'll do the last, um, last characteristic, the last attribute. Um, it's attribute number 24. Um, for the godly man's picture um, the, of the godly man, then we'll do chapter five, which is some conclusions that he starts to draw. Um, so we're closing up on wrapping this up again. We're going to be shifting back into John uh, chapter six um, after the uh, the it's uh, Jesus's exchange with the crowd, the fickle crowd, and the Jews, um, and his first "I am" statement, "I am the bread of life." We're going to be continuing on in that. And then I'll be looking for, you know, other things to read as we get to a point where we'll take another break. It'll probably be a few months down the road, but we'll take another break and we'll read another book. So I'll be looking for that. If you got any suggestions, send them in. Um, I think over at Christian Podcast Community, you can leave comments, but I'm pretty sure it's been turned on on Anchor now. Um, if you go listen on Anchor, Anchor or go over to, to whichever episode on Anchor, you can actually comment on um, what you thought about the episode. So you're welcome to do so. Um, I don't, you know, please don't leave any cursing or anything like that in there. I, I, I but, but I'm willing to, I'm and happy to take constructive criticism. All right, well, let's go ahead and open up in prayer. The prayer we're going to open up with this evening is called purification. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I sin. Grant that I may never cease grieving because of it. Never be content with myself. Never, th never think I can reach a point of perfection. Kill my envy. Command my tongue. Trample down self. Give me grace to be holy, kind, gentle, pure, peaceable. To live for thee and not for self. To copy thy words, acts, spirit. To be transformed into thy likeness. To be consecrated wholly to thee. To live entirely to thy glory. 
Deliver me from attachment to things unclean, from wrong associations, from the predominance of evil passions, from the sugar of sin as well as its gall, that with self-loathing, deep contrition, earnest heart-searching, I may come to thee, cast myself on thee, trust in thee, cry to thee, be delivered by thee. O God, the eternal all, help me to know that all things are shadows, but thou art substance. All things are quicksands, but thou art mountain. All things are shifting, but thou art anchor. All things are ignorance, but thou art wisdom. If my life is to be a crucible amid burning heat, so be it. But do thou sit at the furnace mouth, to watch the ore that nothing be lost. If I sin willfully, grievously, tormentedly, in grace take away my mourning, and give me music. Remove my sackcloth, and clothe me with beauty. Still my sighs, and fill my mouth with song. Then give me summer weather as a Christian. Amen. All right, now our devotion uh, from Spurgeon's Morning and Evening for the um, evening of March 9th. The text is from John 15:4. Abide in me. Communion with Christ is a certain cure for every ill. Whether it be the wormwood of woe or the cloying surfeit of earthly delight, close fellowship with the Lord Jesus will take bitterness from the one and satiety from the other. Live near to Jesus, Christian, and it is a matter of secondary importance whether thou livest on the mountain of honor or in the valley of humiliation. Living near to Jesus, thou art covered with the wings of God, and underneath thee are the everlasting, and underneath thee are the everlasting arms. Let nothing keep thee from that hallowed intercourse, which is the choice privilege of a soul wedded to the well-beloved. Be not content with an interview now and then, but seek always to retain his company, for only in his presence hast thou either comfort or safety. Jesus should, not, Jesus should not be unto us a friend who calls upon us now and then, but one with whom we walk evermore. Thou hast a difficult road before thee. See, O traveler to heaven, that thou go, no, go not without thy guide. Thou hast to pass through the fiery furnace. Enter it not unless, like Shadrach, Meshach, Meshach and Abednego, thou hast the Son of God to be thy companion. Thou hast to storm the Jericho of thine own corruptions. Attempt not the warfare until, like Joshua, thou hast seen the captain of the Lord's host, with his sword drawn in his hand. Thou art to meet the Esau of thy many temptations. Meet him not until at Jabok's brook thou hast laid hold upon the angel and prevailed. In every case, in every condition, thou wilt need Jesus. But most of all, when the iron gates of death shall open to thee, keep thou close to thy soul's husband. Lean thy head upon his bosom. Ask to be refreshed with the spiced wine of his pomegranate, and thou shalt be found of him at the last, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. Seeing thou hast lived with him and lived in him here, thou shalt abide with him forever. All right. Now we're going to get into our reading. I, I should have said at the beginning, but I want to put out a prayer request for my brother, Andrew Rappaport. Um, he, he was at a conference and... Uh, had some medical issues, so he had to be taken to the hospital in ambulance. Um, we just ask you to put up some prayers for him and for the young man that was in the ambulance with him who had grown up in the church but no longer believed. Um, I would definitely pray for him as well. His name was Matt. If you'd pray for Matt and if you'd pray for Andrew, um, he's been a great boon to all of us in, in the body of Christ. And so we would definitely wish him a speedy recovery. We, we would you know, desire God's will in all of it. But, but if it's God will, we, God's will, we would definitely, definitely pray for a speedy recovery. Um, the man doesn't stop. 
he is constantly going, constantly doing the work of the kingdom. And, um, but we hope he can get some rest and things can be normalized with his health. And, uh, so, um, I would definitely put that forward as a prayer request. All right, well, let's get into our reading. Like I said, we're going to be, uh, reading the last attribute of the godly man. And again, like I've said before, this is not just for men. This is the godly person. Okay. This is just how Thomas Watson wrote it, but this is for the godly person. These are the attributes of the godly person. And we've done 23 of them so far. Chapter four was the attributes and we've done 23 of them. This is the 24th. This is the last one. And then we'll get into chapter two. So section 24, a godly man labors. Wait a minute. I'm sorry. I'm missing a divider. Wow. Okay, I don't know. I thought I had bookmarked it, but whatever. A godly man labors to be an instrument for making others godly. He is not content to go to heaven alone, but wants to take others there. Spiders work only for themselves, but bees work for others. A godly man is both a diamond and a lodestone, a diamond for the sparkling luster of grace and a lodestone for his attractiveness. He is always drawing others to embrace piety. Living things have a propagating virtue. Where religion lives in the heart, there will be an endeavor to propagate the life of grace and those we converse with. My son Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my bonds. Philemon 1.10 Though God is the fountain of grace, yet the saints are pipes to transmit the living streams to others. This thirsty endeavor for the conversion of souls proceeds. Number 1. From the nature of godliness. Grace is like fire, which assimilates and turns everything into its own nature. Where there is the fire of grace in the heart, it will endeavor to inflame others. Grace is a holy leaven, which will be seasoning and leavening others with divine principles. Paul would gladly have converted Agrippa, how he courted him with rhetoric. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you believe. Acts 26:27. His zeal and eloquence had almost captivated the king. Verse 28. Then Agrippa said to Paul, Do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? Number two, from a spirit of compassion. Grace makes the heart tender. A godly man pities those who are in the gall of bitterness. He sees what a deadly cup is brewing for the wicked. They must without repentance be bound over to God's wrath. The fire which reigned on Sodom was only a painted fire in comparison with hellfire. This is a fire with a vengeance. Suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Jude 1 7. Now, a godly man seeing captive sinners ready to be damned labors to convert them from the error of their way. Knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. 2 Corinthians 5 11. Number 3. From a holy zeal, he bears for Christ's glory. The glory of Christ is as dear to him as his own salvation. Therefore, that this may be promoted, he labors to bring in souls to Christ. It is a glory to Christ when multitudes are born to him. Every star adds a luster to the sky. Every convert is a member added to Christ's body and a jewel adorning his crown. Though Christ's glory cannot be increased as he is God, yet as he is mediator it may. The more that are saved, the more Christ is exalted. Why else would the angels rejoice at the conversion of a sinner, if it is not because Christ's glory now shines all the more? Luke 15.10 Use 1 what excludes those who are spiritual eunuchs from the number of the godly is that they do not labor to promote the salvation of others. Number one, if men loved Christ, they would try to draw as many as they could to him. The one who loves his captain will persuade others to come under his banner. This unmasks the hypocrite. 
Though a hypocrite may make a show of grace himself, he never bothers to procure grace in others. He is without compassion. I may allude to the verse, that which dies, let it die, and that, that which is cut off, let it be cut off. Zechariah 11.9 And so, if souls go to the devil, he does not care. Number two, how far from being godly are those who, instead of endeavoring for grace in others, labor to destroy all hopeful beginnings of grace in them? Instead of drawing them to Christ, they draw them from Christ. Their work is to poison and harm souls. This harming of souls occurs in three ways. Number one, by bad edicts. So Jeroboam made Israel sin, 1 Kings 16.26. He forced them to idolatry. Number two, by bad examples. Examples speak louder than precepts but principally the examples of great men are influential. Men placed on high are like the pillar of cloud. When that went, Israel went. If great men behave irregularly, others will follow them. Number three, by bad company. The breath of sinners is infectious. They are like the dragon which cast a flood out of his mouth. Revelation 12:15. They cast a flood of oaths out of their mouths. Wicked tongues are set on fire by hell. James 3:6. The sinner finds match and gunpowder, and the devil finds the fire. The wicked are ever setting snares and, te and temptations before others. As the prophet says in another sense, I set bowls full of wine before them, and cups, and I said to them, Drink. Jeremiah 35.5 So the wicked set, set bowls of wine before others and make them drink, until reason is stupefied and lust is inflamed. These who make men proselytes to the devil are prodigally wicked. How sad will be the doom of those who, besides their own sins, have the blood of others to answer for. Number three, if it is the sign of a godly man to promote grace in others, then how much more should he promote it in his near relations? A godly man will be careful that his children should know God. He would be very sorry if any of his family should burn in hell. He labors to see Christ formed in those who are himself in another edition. Augustine's Augustine says that his mother Monica travailed with greater care and pain for his spiritual birth than for his natural birth. The time of childhood is the fittest time to be sowing seeds of religion in our children, whom shall we make understand doctrine? Those who are weaned from the milk that are taken from the breasts, Isaiah 28.9. The wax, while it is soft and tender, will take any impression. Children, why the, well, sure. Children, while they are young, will fear reproof. When they are old, they will hate it. Number one, it is pleasing to God that our children should know him early in life. When you come into a garden, you love to pluck the young bud and smell it. God loves a saint in the bud. Of all the trees which the Lord could have chosen in a prophetic vision, Jeremiah 1.11, he chose the almond tree, which is one of the first of the trees to blossom. Such an almond tree is an early convert. Number two, by endeavoring to bring up our children in the fear of the Lord, we will provide for God's glory when we are dead. A godly man should not only honor God while he lives, but do something that may promote God's glory when he is dead. If our children are seasoned with gracious principles, they will stand up in our place when we have gone, and will glorify God in their generation. A good piece of ground bears not only a forecrop, but an aftercrop. The one who is godly not only bears God a good crop of obedience himself while he lives, but by training his child in the principles of religion, he bears God an aftercrop when he is dead. Used to, let all who have God's name placed on them do what they can to advance piety in others. A knife touched with a lodestone will attract the compass needle. 
the one whose heart is divinely touched with the lodestone of God's Spirit, will endeavor to attract those who are near him to Christ. The heathen could say, We are not born for ourselves, only. The more excellent anything is, the more diffusive it is. In the body, every member is diffusive. The eye conveys light, the head conveys spirits, the heart conveys blood. A Christian must not move altogether within his own circle, but endeavor for the welfare of others. To be diffusively good makes us resemble God, whose sacred influence is universal. And surely it will not grieve the heart, when the conscience can witness for us that we have brought glory to God in this manner by laboring to fill heaven. Not that this is in any way meritorious or has any casual influence on our salvation. Christ's blood is the cause, but our promoting God's glory in the conversion of others is a signal evidence of our salvation. Just as the rainbow is not a cause why God will not drown the world, it is yet a sign that he will not drown it. Or just as Rahab's scarlet thread hung out of the Sorry. hung out of the window Joshua 2.18 was not the cause of her of her being exempted from destruction but it was a sign of her being exempted in the same way our building others up in the faith is not a cause of why we are saved but it is a symbol of our piety and a presage of our eternal felicity and thus I have shown the marks and characteristics of a godly man if a person thus described is reputed to be a fanatic, then Abraham and Moses and David and Paul were fanatics, which I think no one but atheists would dare to affirm. All right. All right. And now chapter five, and this is two conclusions about the characteristics of a godly man. Concerning the characteristic signs aforementioned, I will lay down two conclusions. Number one. These characteristics are a Christian's box of evidences. For as an impenitent sinner has the signs of reprobation on him, by which, like so many spots and tokens, he may know he will die, so whoever can show these happy signs of a godly man may see the symptoms of salvation in his soul, and he may know that he has passed from death unto life. John 5.24 He is as sure to go to heaven as if he were in heaven already. Such a person is undoubtedly a member of Christ, and if he should perish, then something of Christ might perish. These blessed characteristics may comfort a Christian under all worldly dejection and diabolical suggestions. Satan tempts a child of God with this, that he is a hypocrite and has no title to the land of promise. A Christian may pull out these evidences and challenge the devil to prove that any wicked man or hypocrite ever had such a good certificate to show for heaven. Satan may sooner prove himself a liar than prove the saint a hypocrite. Number two, whoever truly has even one of these characteristics has the seed of all of them. Whoever has one link of a chain has the whole chain. Object, but may a child of God say, either I do not have all these characteristics, or else they are so weakly worked in me that I cannot discern them. Answer, to satisfy this scruple, you must diligently observe the distinctions which the scripture makes between Christians. It puts them into several classes and orders. Some are little children who have only recently become breastfeeding on the gospel. Others are young men who have grown up to more maturity of grace. Others are fathers who are ready to take their degree of glory. 1 John 2, 12-14 Now you who are not in the first rank or class may still have the vitals of godliness, just as well as those who have arrived at a higher stature in Christ. The scripture speaks of the cedar and the bruised reed. The reed is just as true a plant of the heavenly paradise as the cedar. 
so the weakest should not be discouraged. Not all have these characteristics of godliness written in capital letters. If they are only faintly stamped on their souls, God can read the work of his spirit there. Though the seal is only faintly set on the wax, it ratifies the will and gives a real conveyance of an estate. If there is found just some good thing towards the Lord, as Abiha said, God will accept it. 1 Kings 14.13 Alright, well that is our reading for the day. Uh, we'll pick up again in chapter 6 tomorrow evening, God willing. Uh, again, uh, thank you for spending this time with me. Um, I hope it's been edifying as we've got, worked our way through the godly man's picture. And uh, I, again, I hope you have a wonderful evening and I hope to see you in the morning. Let's go ahead and close in prayer. We're going to close with the fifth day evening prayer. It's called protection. Let's pray. O Lord God, thou art our preserver, governor, savior, and coming judge. Quieten our souls to call upon thy name. Detach us from the influence of the flesh and the senses. Impress us with the power of faith. Promote in us spirituality of mind that will render our services acceptable to thee and delightful and profitable to ourselves. Bring us into that state which attracts thine eye and prepares us to receive the proofs of thy love. Show us our danger that we may fly to thee for refuge. Make us sensible of our sin's disease that we may value the good physician. Placard to us the cross that it may slay the enmity of our hearts. Help us to be watchful over our ways, jealous over our tempers, diligent over our hearts. When we droop, revive us. When we loiter, quicken us. When we go astray, restore us. Possess us with more of that faith, which is the principle of all vital goodliness. May we be rich in faith, be strong in faith, live by faith, walk by faith, experience the joy of faith, do the work of faith, hope through faith, perceiving nothing in ourselves. May we find in the Savior wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, redemption. Amen. All right, again. Thanks for spending the time with me. Have a great evening, and I hope to see you in the morning. Have a good one. God bless. Music